to sort of explore creativity. We pissed people off. You know, who has access to art? An ephemeral queer space. You're just like, you get this crazy idea and you're like, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> if not now, when? Welcome to the Third Space Gallery podcast. I'm your host, Abigail Smith. Today's episode, Rural Art Making with Cheryl Johnson. I loved this conversation with taxidermist and entrepreneur Cheryl Johnson about her relationship with her rural surroundings and how they relate to her art practice and business. At the end of this episode interview, she did invite me to go hunting with her and we recorded this last winter and I did end up going out with her and it was super fun. I didn't snag us a meal, but I did have a lot of fun in the woods. So thank you Cheryl both for this interview and that experience. The Third Space Gallery podcast is produced by me, Abigail Smith, through Third Space Gallery, with huge support from Local 107.3 FM. Third Space Gallery and Local 107.3 FM operate on the traditional, unsurrendered territories of the Lustigwe, Mi'kmaq, and Pescadomagadi people. The city of St. John sits at the mouth of the Lustig, the beautiful and bountiful river where Indigenous peoples have lived, traveled, traded, celebrated, and made music for thousands of years. Thank you for recognizing and respecting the custodians of the lands and waters upon which we now collectively live, create, and reflect. At the recording time of this intro, the government of New Brunswick recently announced to all government employees that they are to cease using land acknowledgments in their correspondence, events, and documents. I would like to quote from the letter released by the six chiefs of the Wallistiqua Nation in New Brunswick. Rather than acknowledge the historical truth of lands within New Brunswick, GNB is issuing a gag order against its employees to stop them from speaking the truth as well. It is obvious to any rational thinkers that this prohibition is disrespectful to First Nations people. But beyond the obvious, the memo is clearly a scare tactic and speaks, speaks to an underbelly of censorship that is now on full display at GNB. So again, as per the recommendation of this letter by the six chiefs of the Wallistiqua Nation in New Brunswick, I will repeat that the land on which we operate and the land discussed in the rest of this episode is the unsurrendered and traditional territories of the Lustigwe, Mi'kmaq, and Pescadomagadi people. ask you to say your full name and your art practice and your profession if you like just anything that you'd like to include for sure for sure um well my name is Cheryl Johnson and I am an entrepreneur and taxidermist and before COVID I was working as a classroom teacher and now I'm a kind of changing things up <laughs> that's awesome it's a good time to change things up I'm realizing well, it, pardon it's a good time to change things up yes yeah well it was um when COVID happened like I was I was teaching supply in high school and then it's like oh I have no work oh my kids are home all the time oh okay everything that I thought was consistent is no longer. <laughs> uh, 
I was like, uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> is that when you, is that kind of the impetus to starting the entrepreneurship slash taxidermy, which is also, I have to say, a combination of words that I didn't think I'd ever get to say? Yay! <laughs> um, well, I've been doing taxidermy for five years now. Um, just kind of working it away, like on a part-time when when I get a chance basis. Um, but then it just got me thinking about, well, when everything changed this spring, it was like, well, what do I want to do with my time? How do I want to best spend my time? And then it's like, I really want to learn more about different entrepreneurship programs and kind of pursuing like art and taxidermy and small business and all that stuff. And, and, uh, kind of learn more about the ins and outs of those things. So this fall, after my kids went back to school, I was like, okay, now I can think. <laughs> and then I was able to kind of focus on what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? Um, and just kind of thinking about different uh, jobs and employment and all that stuff. So um Raven and I just started a production company. Oh, that's exciting. I'm so excited. Yeah. So we're starting um, because it's based off of the video podcast that we were doing. And it's like, hey, this is really fun. Let's see if we can turn this into a job. So we're starting a production company. And then I'm focusing more on my art and kind of finding how to make that work in kind of switching it from the full from the part-time when I can to the main time kind of scene. So that's an interesting yeah. flip as like transitioning something like art from being the thing that you do when you can kind of eke out the time to do, especially as like a parent and as a working person, I'm assuming that you are trying to like steal time to make art and now yes. you're flipping, flipping the ratio and making art the main part of your day and making art your job. Yeah, well, that's that's what I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, th that's the goal, and so far, it's going pretty good. Um, oh, I set the kettle on, but I'll get that in a minute. Um, but yeah, because I guess basically, when it comes to my art, um, just like what you said, like it's something that I would do when I kind of had a chance, like once the kids went to bed or after work, after the kids went to bed. So it was very just like. Yeah, like sporadic and when I can. But um, since I didn't go to, like, I don't have formal art training. And I've realized that a big part of formal art training is also learning how to make a career out of being an artist. And that's information that I'm realizing uh, there's a lot of stuff I need to learn and find out on uh, how to do the thing successfully. Yeah, I think that that's, a struggle for a lot of artists, especially in the Maritimes, where there's not like a, until recently, like not a ton of formal resources. ArtsLink New Brunswick is really great. And, and Catapult, the Catapult program was super helpful for me personally. And being a creative person that's also trying to live. Um, yes. But it's, it's tough, especially where I was really curious to talk to you for many reasons. But one of them being that you are, um, as far as I understand, identify as like a rural artist. Uh, where are oh, you yes. actually? Um, well, you know where I, I I call it the woods 
<laughs> capital T, capital W, yes. the woods. Yes, capital T, capital capital W, bracket trademark. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I live in the woods. Um, it's kind of like in the Upham slash Barnesville slash Titusville area. Um, so in other words, it's rural enough that it's actually no discernible area mm. <laughs> so yeah it's 45 minutes outside of the city of St. John I like that description like you're in kind of a liminal space the woods <laughs> yeah <laughs> where it's like oh where do you live and I'm like oh way out there <laughs> it's easier to just say the woods <laughs> pretty much yeah and then um, it was funny actually uh, I had a friend over in the summer and I was like okay well here's my address and then they google mapped it and they're like oh my goodness because the google map image the street view was just trees (laughs) (laughs) and they're like wow you really do live in the woods (laughs) I love that google can't even find you no that's that's powerful (laughs) well I have to give people my postal code or google really can't find it well, I think that that's, I mean, that I'm I'm envious, maybe, obviously, living in the woods is probably not always idyllic, but it kind of seems like it, especially when getting kind of, like, run down in living in, like, a city center, um, even yeah. a small one like St. John. But one thing that I was really curious about was just the relationship, how the relationship changes between an artist and their work based on where they're living. And I, I think that, like, the idea... Not to get too philosophical, but why not? Um, no, go for it. I, I like philosophy. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I figured. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the idea of like, you know, you want to be an artist and you want to be where like the action is and like thinking that that may be in, be in a city center where there's resources and galleries and other artists. But my experience, because um, I'm from the woods also of Nova ah. Scotia, Yes, yes. Is uh is you know really having a lot of appreciation and respect for for small community and, and rural artists because I I've seen a lot of political engagement from those arenas that I find really inspiring. I think yes. that living in a smaller community you have to be really in, involved and engaged and and I feel like that affects the way that you make work as well. And especially with your work which is is literally taxidermy. Um, you're very connected to your surroundings. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, basically when it comes to this, well, I guess, okay. Now now I'm thinking philosophically is that I find like rural living in a rural area kind of like impacts my art twofold. One in that I feel like I'm a free agent. So like, I don't feel like I'm necessarily connected to a certain community or a certain somewhere per se. So I kind of feel like, well, if I'm going to make something super weird, that's my thing. And I'm my own thing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that there's okay. an interesting element of not having to answer to someone because obviously yeah. being around, a, being in like a an urban or more densely populated area, like has its benefits for making work with other people that can be obviously creative and, and you do workshops in St. John on taxidermy, which I'd love to talk more about yeah. as well. But oh, yeah, uh, yeah. there's got to be some freedom in, in making work that is that ends when you say it ends and um, and goes in the direction that you want to take it in. 
Yeah. Well, um, well then, um, the, the, so there's one, it's the freedom. Um, and then when it comes to taxidermy too, it's also the space because like sometimes I'll like simmer bones and it's outdoors and it's really stinky and I don't have to worry about neighbors or like I have, um, I call it the dead spot. (laughs) 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 It's like in the side yard where um, there's various um, dead animals in various states of decay that would not really be as possible in a more populated area. (laughs) Yeah, that's so. (laughs) This is work that cannot be contained to a studio. No, no. (laughs) So a lot of the work is done. Well, some of it is done outdoors because um, when it comes to the different things I do with bones, the most effective cleaners is nature. Um, Because when it comes to the sun and when it comes to all of the little bugs and little critters that clean all the stuff off, they do it way better than I can. Mm. So I usually just let them do it because I'm like, hey, experts, here you go. (laughs) That's a really curious part of your process because it's like it is so connected to the natural progression of of things and of life and of like of, of creatures dying and decomposing and and that whole process i it's i'm sure that there's probably not that i know anything about taxidermy i'm sure there's probably a way to chemicalize the, the whole process but uh it sounds like there, you you're kind of following the natural progression of things there are different ways to use chemicals but then it's like then you need just like bigger crates and tubs and harsher things and it does take time and I'm like nah you know what I'm just gonna let I'm gonna let nature do its thing and like where I live way out in the woods we have coyotes and like foxes and eagles (laughs) so whenever I have things at the dead spot that I really want to keep I'll have to like put a bin over top with a couple heavy rocks so that nature doesn't like help me too much and just like coyote comes and hauls away my bones because then I'm like no my bones I planned for that <laughs> yeah so it's an ongoing conversation with nature you know yeah, if you want to so keep some like, of these things exactly because it's like I really appreciate you nature but please I just want this <laughs> <laughs> and that's something too when it comes to the materials that I use is a lot of the stuff I use is either found or given to me or I've harvested myself so it's all like so in other words like anything that I make I can't do the same thing like year after year because I don't know what's going to be available next year so it's always like a change of shaking things up and working with new materials because I just kind of work with what's available to me. That's really interesting that you like that your production is um, is so variable on what's being offered to you naturally in your surroundings. So I know that there's I've seen some of your beautiful mice at um, uh, at the boutique in Fredericton. Is that where? Oh yes, yes, yeah, Bellwether. At Bellwether, yeah, and uh, presumably mice are pretty plentiful. But I like the idea that your sort of line, (laughs) so to speak, would change based on what's making itself available to you. Oh, yeah. Well, and those mice, oh, my goodness, the mice at Bellwether, um, I started doing wet preserves because we had a bit of a mouse problem this summer. And um, there were some mice that ate some of the moths that I was drying. 
And I was like, ah. So then I made art out of their bodies mm. instead. That's amazing. <laughs> You're like, well, something is getting taxidermied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that happened. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, oh, dear. Do you, uh, I mean, I'm wondering, like, how if you don't mind getting into a bit of your history like what was it that brought you to start doing taxidermy in the first place yes excellent question um I feel like lots of times when people ask me that it would just be so much easier to just give like a like a one sentence answer but it's kind of like a short paragraph I suppose yeah Um, give us the give us the whole thing okay all right (laughs) um (laughs) I'm as you can tell I'm chatty so just like yeah that's no problem at all um well I grew up on a farm and it was a hobby farm in rural Ontario so we had all sorts of various animals that we would eat and my parents were like it was they were kind of like part of like a neo back to land movement where they're like we're living on a farm let's expose our kids to all of like the circle of life and things like that so I learned all about how to how to butcher chickens and how to pluck chickens or we had like goats and ducks and rabbits and all sorts of things like that. So I've always been pretty comfortable around animals. And then I moved to New Brunswick for university, oddly, I know. <laughs> um, so I moved to New Brunswick. I lived in St. John for a couple of years and then, oh, oops, sorry. I just like spilled my coffee. But anyway, um, I, uh, I moved to, oh yeah. So I was living in St. John and then, um, I met a nice New Brunswick fellow and he was from the Hampton area and I was like, what's, what do you like about Hampton? And he's like, Oh, I just really like it out here. And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like living near a lot of people. And I was like, but if I am going to live near a lot of people, might as well just live in the city and just go all out. And he was like, no, I don't want to live in the city. And I was like, well, let's just move out in the woods then. And then that way we've got lots of space and kind of, if we're going to be commuting, we might as well benefit from that and have just a totally different way of life. And I'd lived really before he had somewhat. So then we were looking for spaces and then we found this spot in the woods. And then I realized how much in the woods it was because like I couldn't have ducks or chickens or rabbits because the coyotes would eat them in like a day. (laughs) Now that the snow is down on the ground, we can follow the tracks of the animals. And there's a bobcat that regularly walks up our driveway past the garage and then through the backyard (laughs) wow so So, like very brazen yeah so in other words like if we had if I tried to have any sort of like small agriculture it wouldn't last so I was like okay so what am I gonna do and then my partner comes from a hunting background and he's like well we could hunt things and I'm like I don't know I don't know because that was like a whole new avenue for me um so I learned about it and I started hunting and I took my hunter safety course and like 
I learned to be like comfortable around guns and how to use them. And so I was already hunting. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, what happens to the deer hides and what happens to this? And I'm like, well, I want to make stuff with that because I've always been like sewing and knitting and different like craft works like that. So, and then I just kind of like started working with like different materials that would come just from like knowing different hunters or knowing different people. And then people started knowing that I was doing that and they're like, Hey, do you think you could make this? Or, Hey, what do you think about that? And I was like, yeah, I can figure that out. And then basically like just through other people's interests and encouragement and then through just like learning and, and like trial and error, you just kind of one thing led to another. And I slowly started learning about the taxidermy and then uh, I loved it and I just kind of kept going and I really found my passion in death. Mm. And uh, I just kind of kept doing it, and here I am now. I love. Thank you for sharing the whole paragraph with me. That's that. That is like the long form version. So but, yeah, I I really appreciate that it was sort of like this natural progression um, from from where you were choosing to live and how you were choosing to eat, and like the next step was you know, becoming an art angel of death. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Aww, thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I remember, um, I was just talking about this the other day where I remember I would do different craft sales, uh, like the Christmas craft sales back when my kids were little. And I'd have like knitted items. And then sometimes I'd have like some weirder things. And, like, there'd be lots of people who would have knitted items available or, like, more conventional things. But then the odder things, I'd get some funny looks, but then the people who really liked it really liked it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, because I like doing it, too. So kind of realizing, oh, my odd ideas, other people, not everyone's scared of them. So I was kind of more of like, I guess, a, a quiet goth for quite a while. And I was like, oh, people kind of like this stuff. So uh, I've become uh, more and more brazen and bold and uh, sharing my weirdness. And yeah, it's been uh, it's been a journey. Well, I appreciate that, especially like, you know, kind of signaling to other weirdos that uh, there's there's more like them out here. <laughs> Oh, yeah, totally. Well, and that's been part of the thing, like, making the art is fantastic. But then meeting the different people who love the things that I make or who are making, like, other types of things using the same materials is like, oh, like, it's, it's building a sense of community of weirdness. Yeah, I appreciate that. You're definitely because <laughs> you have been doing these series of workshops through Third Space. And yeah. um, have you been... How have you been feeling about bringing that to a group and making more taxidermists, I guess? Yeah, well, um, so it kind of, it was around like a year ago um, where people like would kind of sometimes ask me, they're like, hey, would you ever do a workshop? And I was like, I don't know, because I really wasn't sure if it might be too much for people. And then I was like, well, I kind of reached a point where like an, 
like enough people had asked me that I felt kind of comfortable that there sincerely was like a commitment and interest in doing this. And like, I have a teaching background. So I was like, okay, well, I feel pretty comfortable in like designing a workshop and setting it up. And um, it's gone really well um, because I deliberately design it where I'm there to help um, if anyone's not sure of what to do. So then, or if they're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, hey, I can help you with that. Mm. So that's really helped. And I think that's also really helpful in like any learning environment. So just kind of extending that to guts. I guess when it comes to careers and things, like I was teaching for a while. I'm like totally getting sidetracked now, but. No, please. I was teaching for a while. And then I was like, no, I just, it was just too, it just wasn't the right fit. And that's totally okay. Like lots of people find their groove and find their fit. And mine wasn't in the classic nine to five and that's okay. Um, so I started uh, teaching piano lessons and I taught piano lessons for 10 years and it was fantastic because then I could make my own schedule and I could do my own thing because another part of the story is um, that for the past, like, after my second child was born, I have two kids. Um, the second pregnancy really messed with my body. Mm. And um, I had like some ongoing unknown pain issues for like six years. So even if I wanted to work full time, I couldn't. So like my body forced me to like find adaptable accommodating workplaces and ultimately that ended up being a workplace I created on my own hmm. does that yeah, yeah that so, makes a um, lot of sense like that at a certain point you're going to have to like you're gonna have to meet your own needs and and make your own workplace yeah and like ideally like it would have been great if like I could have found like a supportive workplace that could have helped me with that but uh, I was like you know I just got to I got to do me. I got to do what works. And I know I know who I am and like what I can do. So I just kind of I taught piano lessons for many years and then um, it was really great. And then I was like, you know, I think I'm ready to go back to work because like my kids were in school and I felt pretty good with things. And then I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and I'm going to do supply teaching. It's going to be great. And I went back for a month. And then I fell and hit my head and got a concussion. Oh. And um, then I was in my room for three months in the dark. And uh, that was two years ago. Um, so that was tough. And then I was like starting to feel better. And it had been around a year. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm getting a really good handle on things. And like getting, you know, getting a better idea of, the work I like to do and working with people. And uh, then several months after that, COVID happened. <laughs> so in other words, I'm very used to um, giant snags along the way when it comes to planning. <laughs> that's right. The best laid plans. Oh, well, so that's where like, I know I've heard from some people where like they've had a really tough time with COVID, obviously. But, like, they've still maintained their job and they've still maintained, like, a lot of, like, their connections and they've got extended family who's there for them. And I'm like, hey, it's just, like, 
life-changing interruption number four. <laughs> yeah. The... I know what to do. I've done this several times already. <laughs> I was talking to oh, an God. art therapist um, for this podcast, and, and she said that she really loves to quote that uh, you shouldn't let a good crisis go to waste. Yes. Which is not to say that people need to be productive through pain and injury and a pandemic, obviously. But I do, mm. I feel that you are as someone that's like quite resilient, obviously, and used to pivoting when things aren't going your way. And, <laughs> and like, I don't know, the taxidermist in you must be good at picking up materials and making something out of them, even that's if that's like an emotional project as opposed to an actual physical picking up yeah. of materials. Oh yeah, totally. And I, like, I, I've always liked like the items that I create, um, are made from items that would just, if left, um, untouched would just decay and turn to dust in the woods. So it's kind of like the, I've always liked the idea basically of just like, um, oh. preserving just that moment. Mm. There's something and... archival in that. Yeah, exactly. And I also love too where having like my items available for retail because it's like here's this piece that's you know similar to items that you see in a museum, but you can own it and it's from animals right here in southern New Brunswick or birds or insects and mm. things like that. So it's like it's a little piece of who we are and you can take it home with you. And then by doing that, you can help me and you can help the business that sells those works. So it's like, it's a sense of community and also like understanding, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that it's like, it's interesting to think of it that way because that's like a, like a reimagining of a supply chain instead of like, yeah, instead of kind of, I mean, people are so used to stores being fully stocked and things being extremely available and the process by which that happens being really um, hidden and mystifying. And yeah. in this in this example, you know, this is a product that was made by you, Cheryl, that's being sold at the store Bellwether. And you can see the whole supply chain really intimately and feel the feel like you're participating and, and yeah, take home a little piece of New Brunswick. Oh, yeah. And that's where I've always like working with the shops that I've worked with, too, because I was I started selling items at Heartbreak Boutique in St. John four years ago. And then Bellwether, it'll be like two or three years that I've been working with them. And I've recently changed from Heartbreak to Obscurity, um, which makes sense because they specialize more in like odd and strange things and I am an odd and strange thing so <laughs> <laughs> that was a very natural fit um and where like I knew that I never expect anyone to come to me and I also like keeping where I live a bit secret because uh there's there's I think added freedom in that too because like I just kind of have my own space and if I want to see people I I choose to um, so having the shops being so supportive and carrying my works is, um, and then obviously everyone who loves them and buys them. So it's just like, it's all just people helping people within our community. So like, if that's not a reason to make art, like, you know, <laughs> it's really just living the dream. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we need to, especially during 
during a pandemic where supply chains are really choked out and and you can see examples of it all over like that there's less meat in the grocery store or that the you know pasta is cleaned out you know that I think that everyone is becoming more aware of of how things come to us and uh, you know not all of us I guess can be murderarians but we can we can there's there are resources here we are in the woods and there is food in the woods so I think that maybe I've definitely been thinking that this is a good opportunity for me to like readjust where I get where I get everything from and certainly I mean, when I was on CERB, my first my first response, this is probably financially irresponsible, but I was like, I'm buying some art and it is going to be by a local artist and I do not care. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, you're investing in your local economy. Also, too, if you ever want to go hunting, just let me know. Yes. Um, because I love just, it's, well, just going out with people because like usually 90% of the time, it's just a walk in the woods when you're holding a gun. And then... Like another five percent of the time is like, oh my goodness, there's a critter and it's gone. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And then, and then like the five percent of the time, it's like, oh my goodness, I see the thing. Oh my goodness, I'm lining up my shot. Oh my goodness, it happened. <laughs> so that's why like some of my like um, pictures where I'm like I'm holding up something that I shot, I look absolutely insane because I'm so happy because it's <laughs> taken like, you know, ninety five percent of the time of not doing the thing. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I succeeded. <laughs> I and then <laughs> And then you get to eat. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> then we eat and then we get like materials for crafts. And then sometimes it's like here's something I didn't even expect. So what am I going to do with this? And it's just, yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> That's all. I'm, I, I'm in. I'm, I'm totally oh, in. Yes. Okay. Awesome. We're going to do this. Okay. It's so much fun. <laughs> I, I love that. Thank you for listening to the Third Space Gallery podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Abigail Smith, with invaluable support from St. John's only campus and community radio station, Local 107.3 FM. Our logo is by Judd Crandall of Pulp and Paper Design, and our theme song is Norwood Falls by Wangled Teb. Thank you to the Third Space Gallery Board of Directors and our Executive Director, Kathleen Buckley.